This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by Audible. Stay tuned for a special offer at the end of the show. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joie, and today is Thursday, May 7th, 2020, and my guest is no other than Narav Gondia of XDA Developers. Hi, Narav. How are you? Hello. I'm doing great. We're all stuck at home and life is... Interesting. Yeah. I mean, look, our industry continues. There's new phones coming out. There's always, there's always new announcements because we, I think if, we, if, if everything stopped, everyone would feel it would be like, oh, wow. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Things are changing, but they're obviously, we're still kind of, there's still announcements, there's still stories to talk about. And we know that tech's just going to carry on. It just might be a little bit slower for a while. For sure. I mean, me and Michael were talking about that last week. And it's it's amazing, actually, how many launches have happened, how things are going right now, considering how there's this crazy pandemic happening that is having us stuck at home, basically. Strangely enough, we want to talk about something that's not phones, actually. I, I, I want to talk with, with you about the uh, Microsoft stuff that was announced this week. There's a lot of news. We're going to mostly focus on news for the last few episodes. We're doing reviews of devices, really, with my guests. And you're happening to land on a news-heavy week, I guess. So what is your take on this new Surface Book 3 and Surface Go 2? So let's start with like the Surface Book 3. There's something about... This, like the Windows world has been, has cried out for like Microsoft hardware for a very long time. And most of the time, Microsoft doesn't get it right. But when I look at the surface, like the improvements, both in just the surface in general over the last few years, it's like, okay, these are some of the best laptops. And really, if you look at the way they've designed the Surface Book 3, you know, to be that kind of convertible almost. Yeah. It, it's, it's powerful. It's portable. It's, it's like, with I think with the world approaching the foldables space specifically, we're going to see people try different things. Like who says that, you know, once you start to think, well, my laptop could fold in half, it's like, well, what, wait, what if they could detach them and all of those things? And I just love that Microsoft is still trying to innovate. Yeah, no, I Because think... with all due honesty, if you, if you buy an Apple product, they all just look the same now. You know what I mean? There's nothing really standing out that's really special about them. That's true. But I also do feel that Microsoft's kind of sitting on their laurels. I was expecting the Book 3 to be a completely different design. Like, you know, I well, still the same base technology, but, you know, it, it almost feels like they're recycling the chassis again, just like Apple does. So, I mean, you could look at it both directions, you know. I mean, think about it, though. It is really, really, really hard to actually consistently keep innovating in this space. Like, I'm sure that they're, you know, would you, would I rather they worked on a Surface foldable, you know, like that incredible next generation of Surface that takes into account all the all the bending technology and we, yeah, we have a re, resurf, like kind of repurposed chassis for a year? Yeah, I'd take that approach because I think it's better overall. We, we It's very weird because for a while it was always like we, we expect constant improvement, but there's not... You know, there's not a whole amount they can actually do. Yeah. In in some of these without going into all of this new tech that just isn't ready yet. Were there two sizes of it before or is this a new thing with this uh, new version? Because I I never I don't somehow remember being a 13.5 inch and a 15 inch model. No, so neither do I. I could be completely wrong here because I haven't used a Windows laptop in 
honestly, God knows how long. <laughs> but I, because it's not the hardware. Trust me, if I could use a Surface Book and run Mac OS, I'd be a happy man. You give me a Dell XPS or a Huawei MateBook X Pro with the Mac OS hardware, uh, software, great. But give me Windows 10 and I'm just like, no. I mean, it's gotten a lot better. I have a few Windows 10 review units around, you know, around the house, but I feel like it's not my thing. I can't make it my primary either. Yeah, that's it. There's after God knows how, like I was having this conversation with my father actually last week because I need to go out and buy him a new laptop. And he was like, I'd love to, you know, maybe I could get a Mac. And I'm like, look, I would love if you got a Mac, but actually I'd hate it because it would take me maybe a year to train him how to use a Mac. Yeah. And I think by this point, it's very much like iOS, Android. There's a few people who might switch, but you kind of know what lane you're in in this world, you know? Yeah, for sure. I think for us, we're constantly reviewing devices. It's a lot easier to switch workflows or create workflows. Like I have a workflow for Chrome OS, right? Like obviously since I use Chromebooks and I have a workflow for Windows 10 because sometimes I use Windows 10 laptops. But my primary workflow is is obviously on on Mac. And, you know, there are some things that, you know, are harder to get done on other platforms. Like, for example, I use Audacity for editing the podcast. It's open source. But... There's a bunch of wrinkles here. I mean, for example, the the Windows version of, of Audacity doesn't support any of the AU plugins that Apple makes available for free. So, you know, Apple at the system level has these plugins that are used by QuickTime, by uh, Final Cut, by GarageBand, by iMovie. And these plugins do things like, you know, compressor and noise reduction and all that stuff. And they're really efficient and fast on Mac OS because they're optimized to run on that OS. So, um, you know, in the same way as there's plugins for like other audio solutions and there's plugins for Photoshop and for the entire Adobe universe of, of creative tools, you know, Audacity, the open source people, they decide, hey, why don't we embrace the plugins from Apple when you are running Audacity on a Mac? But here's the kicker. They are better plugins, the Apple ones, than the open source plugins that Audacity ships with. So I use those instead, right? Because they're faster, they're better. And then when I switch to the Windows version of Audacity, guess what happens? It all breaks. I don't have them. They don't exist. Those plugins are gone. So now I have to use the Audacity plugins instead. And so my workflow is different on a PC with Audacity, even though the software is identical technically, right? And of course, you just experienced this yourself. Audacity isn't fully built for Catalina yet. There is workarounds and it's a real hassle. So a lot of people aren't recording uh, using Audacity and Catalina yet. So, you know, workflows matter. And I think a lot of people have this kind of pie in the sky idea that we can just switch platforms easily. Like, oh, you know, if you work in Final Cut, clearly you can switch to Premiere and learn that. Yes, you can learn. Yes, you can switch. But it's not going to be a fun experience for you for a while because you're going to have to create a whole new workflow, right? Honestly, to me, it's like, it's like, it's like a baby learning. It's like, being, it's like being a teenager and then being told to learn how to walk again. I'd be like, hell, like, no. You want, there's certain things that are ingrained. And for me, example, just the thought, I, I've used Windows on the go. And you know, it's not even the big stuff. Most of the big stuff works the same, but there's certain apps. And I'll tell you apps that I use, like the Parcel app. It's just a simple, I think I pay $3 a year subscription to it. But it gives me like notifications on every single package around the whole world. All of these carriers only available on Apple products. Yeah. Spark. Spark is my number one email client on every platform and it's not available on Windows and has no plans to come to it. There is this 
I think it comes down to like if you are a content creator, you're all it's pretty much almost certain, you know, content creators, you're going to end up on Mac. It just it is a better platform for it. But to be frank, you know, I'm not sure that's true because like I, I agree with you intuitively. It, that's what my intuition tells me. But if I look at all the, you know, YouTube creators we know, right, David ML, a whole bunch of others, uh, David Kogan. I mean, these are they all use Premiere on on Windows for video editing. They don't use Final Cut like Michael Fisher does, for example. So there is a very equal divide there between, you know, for video creators between Premiere and Final Cut. And of course, Premiere runs on both Mac OS and Windows, but from everything I hear from everyone, it runs better in Windows when you can throw it the right hardware, you know, like a Razer laptop or something. Whereas Final Cut, we all know, doesn't work on anything but Mac OS. And as such, you pretty much need a MacBook Pro to really run it properly. So I think you're right, but I think that that's not necessarily always true. If you look in big studios right now, that do a lot of movie work, they don't use Macs, right? They use they use Windows, right? They use DaVinci, right? And and I don't think that's a fair point. I, so I'm I'm, I'm sh I think that there is like a prosumer level that maybe falls into like it's easier to get started on Mac. Like I'll give you an example, right? Like if you're a Mac user, one you one day you want to edit video, you fire up iMovie, right? It's built in, it's free. You use it for a while. You when you outgrow that. Which is what exactly what happened to me. I started using iMovie and I outgrew it and I went to Final Cut. And the learning curve was very, very small because a lot of the concepts that you see in iMovie exist in Final Cut. So you can actually transition very easily. Now Final Cut is way more powerful, right? And I had to learn... What's interesting is, is just as you're saying that, it reminds me of Apple kind of just pulled a Microsoft. Because Microsoft had that model of Windows Movie Maker will get you started and fine, we don't sell our own kind of, well, they sold some extensions back in the day, but like, you know, there's other more powerful software platforms you can kind of build up to. Apple just did it, but did it themselves. Do you know what I mean? It's this, I agree, it's the same kind of model where really easy to start and then you can just get you hooked and you can learn more and, and kind of go to the next level, which is going to Final Cut in this case. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, it's, it's all good. Um, let's go back to the surfaces, though, because I'm kind of trying to figure out from, you know, none of us have played with them. There's somebody, some of us going to get review units. But really, we can only go by the news. And I'm reading XDA developers right now, looking at the, the announcement, uh, written by, by our friend Max Weinbach. And I see the, the only thing that stands out that I didn't know that is new to me is the d two sizes. And... You know, of course, all the new specs, but trying to figure out pricing because it looks like four gigabytes of RAM is the base, which is ridiculous on a PC. Like, who would sell a PC with four gigs of RAM? Or, or am I look? Maybe I'm looking at Surface Go for the four gigs of RAM because Surface Go. No, I think that's the graphics. One second. Oh, four gigs of gra video RAM. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. Whew, that had me worried. For I'm gonna guess. Look, I'm gonna guess at a starting price of sixteen hundred bucks. You probably looking at eight or 16 gigs of ram at least 16 i would i think you'll see 16 at that kind of pricing because if you look at the new so if you look at we'll oh you're right i was looking at DD, graphics ram yeah four gigs for the nvidia gtx 1650 and then the ti the 1660 ti is six gigs of ram that's for the video oh god i was like what like my freaking one plus eight pro has 12 gigs of ram it's not, I don't know. <laughs> well, put it this way. Funny, talking about RAM, I'm going to tangent for a second because it's, it's relevant. Like, I don't even think a computer should be sold with 16 gigs of RAM anymore. It sounds stupid to say, but I have 
So I had all for the last five or six years, I've had MacBooks with 16 gigs of RAM. Uh-huh. And I've always throttled them. I've always throttled them, you know? Yeah. My old one was maximum 16. I had the 13 that was 16 gigs. So I just got a new 16 inch and I put 64 gigs of RAM in there. Yeah. And it made me realize how often I like how often I use way more than 16. I mean, if you open 50 tabs at a time in Chrome, you're going to need RAM, I guess, basically. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So except that like when I was using it before, it would just throttle and be too slow. And now it's just it's like it can do it, but it does it a lot better. So I don't think anyone should really be if you're going to use anything that's fairly kind of for fairly intense use, you absolutely need more than 16 gigs of RAM. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, speaking of which, let's see what the specs are on the Surface Go 2, because I like the original Surface Go, actually. I mean, it wasn't super fast, but having something that compact, the size of an iPad, basically, a small iPad, like the 10-inch or 9-inch, whatever, you can throw in your bag and is actually a full-on x86 Windows laptop or tablet is pretty freaking awesome. So I'm It is. Now, I, the one thing about the Surface Go is... And this, I think, has always been the problem with Windows, yeah? Yeah. And somewhat somewhat more on the, somewhat on the Apple side, but nowhere near as much. If you look at Apple's proposition throughout kind of that, you, you kind of get your iPad is for working on the go. Yeah. And you have the Pro version right down to the small version. You know that. And then you've got your Macs, which is for working, working. Right. Yeah? The problem with when I look at all of these Microsoft announcements is I'm like, okay, We've got a Surface Go that essentially reminds me of the first, obviously is the first Surface Go, but then reminds me of what the Surface Pro was originally with that style of that keyboard and things like that. And then you've got a, a Surface Book 3. It, it's all very, a little bit more confusing. Yeah, it, it doesn't make clear sense, right? Is this meant to be a tablet? At which point I think Microsoft needs to position it slightly differently to is it meant to be kind of a convertible laptop? But I love that it has that active pen. It's just like they're trying to fill the same areas that Apple is, but they've still got to work a bit on the branding and the marketing side of it. So it's like immediately clear. Oh, I get it. This is, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting because, as I said, it it fills that niche of you need an ultra portable tablet first x86 computer. So I know some people that use... Uh, the Surface Go at Burning Man, like people that work there with me, uh, specifically for that reason. They need to run some legacy x86 apps and they need something that's small, light, has good battery life. It doesn't have to be super powerful. It needs to access the web for Google Docs, but it also needs to run local older x86 apps. And an iPad can't do that, right? So I will say you're absolutely thinking about what I just said. I can see this festivals and even concert venues or anywhere where you essentially need something really portable that can run whatever. Yeah. Specifically, if you think about some of the oldest venues in the world, they're running fairly out of date software that's been kind of gone through many versions of windows and needs all of that legacy support and things like that. Yeah. This essentially means that they can get rid of physical workstations. So I can see that. And when I was to work And it's in, cheap too, right? And it's fanless, so you don't have to worry about like, you know, gunking it up with dust and whatever. So, you know. I can actually see something like this working really well in retail. Because yeah. a lot of the old retail point, point of sales, sales yeah, that yeah. I used to work in clunky. are all clunky, legacy. They don't require a lot of like hardware. 
and which is why they run on really crap computers, but I can see them kind of, they all went a bit more touch, but kind of touch focused, still using a mouse. So I can see that being loaded on here and using a pen and having the keyboard and being able to just walk around a store and sell something versus have to go to a physical location that I can absolutely see working. Yeah, I wish uh, Max had done a more of a comparison of what's new because, you know, he listed the specs, but I, they look identical to the Surface Go original. Pentium Gold and Intel Core M3, four, eight gigs of RAM. There you go. There's your four gigs of RAM machine. Jesus. With... 64 gigabytes, 120 gigabytes of storage. We're talking barely bare bones here. Uh, it does have micro SD card slot, so you can put some more storage in there. So there's, of course, an LTE option with a Qualcomm X16 modem. That was also, I mean, I don't know if it was the exact same modem before, but it was an L, there was an LTE version of the Surface Go original. So I'm just trying to figure out what's new, really. Um, I mean, I'm. All, I, I think it's just a bit of a refresh and using almost identical hardware and announcing it because maybe it's got newer generation chips. And I'm reading like I don't know the specifics of those model numbers, like the Pentium Gold four four two five Y. Not sure if that's newer than the old Pentium Gold, but um, look, it's cool. Like I'm glad that Microsoft is continuing to make hardware. I like their stuff. I like their laptops, the Surface laptops, a lot. Oh yeah, I agree. And, you know, one of the things I've always wanted was back in, I think, it might have been in the 90s, Bill Gates foresaw that vision of walls, you know, giant screens like the Surface Studio yeah. all around the house and building like this connected home. Yeah, That's the vision I can see them working towards in five years. And that's a vision I'd buy into. If I had to switch to mostly Microsoft stuff to try and to see the kind of what they're trying to do in the wider space and with these big screens and things, I'd definitely take that. Yeah. You know? No, it's it's interesting. I mean, I again, I like the whole lineup. There's the Surface Studio, which I think is a really interesting all-in-one uh, with this really crazy articulated display. And then, of course, the Surface Laptop, we mentioned that. And uh, segueing to the other announcement, the Surface Headphones 2, and finally shipping the Surface Earbuds. So, you know, uh, that's the other thing that came out of this announcement. There is a new, revised, better battery life version of the headphones which a lot of people like because they have physical rotating controls on them, which I think is pretty cool. And then the Surface earbuds, I'm going to try to get a review units of the Surface earbuds because I've been reviewing a lot of true wireless earbuds lately. I'm currently reviewing the Pixel Buds for hot hardware, so expect a review on that very soon. I mean, it's written. It just needs to be published at this point. Yeah, did you ever get a chance to try the Surface earbuds at their announcement like in October? No. You weren't there. No, I wasn't. I think I may have been out of the country. I can't remember. It's probably... Uh, probably Rubino. Right, Daniel Rubino. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah, they do so, look interesting, but they look weird. Big. Like, they look like they're going to be uncomfortable. Like, since we talked about it a little bit last week, and I want to give you a quick segue since I just reviewed them, and last week I hadn't even unboxed them yet because I was a little late to getting my review unit for the Pixel Buds. I love the sound quality. I like the integration with Google and all that. But the two things that I'm going to ding them on is I don't find them comfortable. They're too big, actually, not to fit in my ear canal. They fit fine. They're just too big and they're too uncomfortable because of the little horns that stick out. And, and I don't understand what Google was thinking with that design. So these look even bigger. The surface for the touching stuff, the touchpad on them looks bigger. And I'm not sure I'd want to wear something much bigger than Pixel Buds. 
And then, of course, the other thing about Pixel Buds that's a problem, I think, is going to be battery life. I wasn't getting remotely near what they were advertising. Like, I was getting three hours out of five. And that's okay. Like, I think for commuting, it's totally fine. But for, like, you know, my uses, which are more travel-related, I'd much rather have, like, over-the-ear headphones with proper active noise cancelling, like 30-hour battery life, et cetera, et cetera. Right? Different use, right? Of course. Yeah, so if I, when I look at these Surface earbuds, there's... I, I, I'll be honest, I look at them and the first thing that comes to mind is it looks, it's, it's looking at their official video and the thumbnail for it. It's kind of like having a pop socket in your ear. That's exactly what I'm saying. They're too big. It's just, it's not even that they, they are too big. Look at her thumb. The person holding these, the earbuds right now in the, in the story that, uh, the XDA developers, again, Max wrote this. And if you look at below the video, this she's holding, I think it's a woman's They're hand. It's just huge. It's massive, like it's way bigger than the Pixel Buds. And back to the Pixel Buds again, the other thing is you have gesture controls, right? Like you can swipe to volume and all that. And I want to be able to turn that off because half the time I touch by accident and I get something I don't want. Like that's always the problem with touch surfaces for controlling sound on headphones in general or earbuds in general. I just don't like it. So I'll it. tell you one thing. I, I've, I've used a few True Wireless recently. And you know what I end up coming back to? And it's not even, you know, it doesn't matter which phone I'm using, what platform I'm using. Tell me. I come back to the AirPods Pro. Yeah, the AirPods Pro are really solid. I wear them probably 12 to 14 hours a day. Yeah. In my ear every single day. And I have the Sony XM3s sitting right there. And I can't, don't think I've turned them on in three months. The Sony XM3s, so there's the earbuds and the Sony XM3 headphones. The headphones. Oh, the headphones. The headphones. Of course, you haven't used them in three months in a row. You haven't been able to go on an, on one of those shiny metal tubes in the sky. So I have on that fun fact, and if Michael Josh is listening to this, he'll appreciate the shout out here. <laughs> I have been on a plane with him, uh, with him, Helena, and me all sat in a row together, and I started the I remember that. flight with both in both earphones in my head, like on my, in my ears, and ended with one halfway down the plane. And the other involving MJ actually dismantling, like pulling up a seat cushion just to find it underneath. So when you're on a plane, fine. But I used to use those headphones for work and for calls and stuff like this. And I just, even on Android, I don't know why, but the AirPods Pro fit my ears really well. Now that said, the thing about headphones, unlike phones is, the thing about headphones is it really is there's something for everybody, you know? Yeah. There'll be something we neither of us two like that somebody that, Several people out there, it sudden it just meets their needs and their their comfort level. Yeah. So for me, like if I had to rate all the True Wireless earbuds I reviewed, if you look on Android Police, I reviewed a bunch, and and just reviewed the Pixel Buds for for hot hardware. But the AirPods Pro, not the regular, are really fantastic. There's no doubt about it. They're up there for me. The other ones that are really up there for me that I really like are those uh, Galaxy Buds Plus. They sound good. The battery life is incredible. They're small. They're light. I don't know. They're just really pretty great for the money. And then the other ones I like a lot, if you want to get more serious, like travel, if you're not wanting to wear over the cupping your ears headphones, there is the, the XM3 headphones, but there's also the XM3 earbuds from Sony. The difference is the first two letters, right? So WH1000 XM3 is the headphones, WH headphones, and WF 1000 XM3. It's really confusing. The F means earbuds for some reason. And the, <laughs> yeah, these earbuds have active noise cancelling just like the AirPods Pro. 
and they're way better because they actually have like the silicone tip, right? They actually go in your ear canal. They are probably the best sounding, best noise reduction. Uh, they're almost as good as the big over-the-head headphones. And their battery life is unfortunately not as good because, you know, you, you know that five hours or something is pretty much the average. That's why I love the Galaxy Buds Plus. It's 11 hours on a charge on a single earbud. It's amazing. I actually have the Buds Plus here. You should try them. They're great. I know, I have used them. I like them actually a lot. I didn't, I didn't even think about You forget them. you have them. <laughs> yeah, well, this, no, the crazy thing is they're sitting right in front of me on my wireless charger. <laughs> like they're right in my earshot and I've been staring at them and I'm That's like, so wait, funny. why do I think about that? Yeah. They are, they're really interesting. I, cause I do switch platforms a lot. I didn't like, like they don't interact well with the, with iOS. No, no. They really don't. And I, I really have to have like on Android, they work well with, obviously work perfectly with any Samsung phone. Yeah. Tested them out with the flip and all of them. They actually work well with most other phones on Android. But as soon as I switch to iOS and I kind of have one pair of headphones that I'll always have and I'm just, I'll connect to whatever device I'm using at that time kind of thing. Yeah. They, they're just garbage. People can't hear me. And it's like, that's because they're not designed to be anything near iOS. Whereas something like the Jabra's or, you know, even the WF 1000s. Yeah. No, the Sony's work really well with all OS's. The Pixel Buds, by the way, work really well on iOS. You don't get, of huh. course... You know, I'm not going to say the word, but you don't get the hey S, um, you know, calling the assistant from Apple. You, you don't get that, but you do get all the volume controls and stuff on the actual touchpad work. Uh, they basically become a very solid pair, good sounding uh, with the comfort and battery life caveats that I mentioned before, which are my, my, my negatives on these. They have better battery life on iPhone because they're not constantly listening for the keyword, right? They're just paired as a normal true wireless headphone. Yeah, headphones, yeah. And I'll be honest, you never want to say hey S anyway, because yeah, it doesn't work for me. I mean, I have to say, look, Google's integration with the hey, hey G on the Pixel Buds is incredible. Like it feels like, you know, like her, the movie, right? Like you're literally like, like watching Westworld, like you're locked, you're talking to the computer. Like you can just, you can have your hands full and you can say, you know, hey G, do this, do this, do that. And it'll just do it. It's amazing. You're going to say, well, I can do that with my existing earbuds. Yes, you can. With any good earbuds, you can do the Google Assistant stuff. But you have to actually touch something to make it start. Or you have to pull out your phone to make it start. And you don't want to do that. So with this, I have to say that this is the killer feature. And you'd think of that. Of course, it'd be the killer feature. It's a Google product, right? Like, that's what they did really well, right? i got to try them out. Honorable mentions, by the way, of true wireless earbuds that, that I think are really awesome. The Huawei FreeBuds 3, active noise cancellation in a form factor that's identical to the AirPods non-pro. So there's no silicon seal. They look like AirPods regular, but they're, you know, black. They're also available in white, but most of the ones I've seen are black. Made by Huawei called FreeBuds 3, obviously, you know, copycat design, but it's where it stops. Battery life is really decent. Uh, comfort is incredible because you don't have something silicone stuck in your ear. And they sound incredibly good and they have active noise cancelling despite not having a seal. It's kind of cool. And then finally, they are lightweight and small and nice. And they don't cost too much, like 200 They're still okay in price. Interesting. But my favorite, absolute favorite, because the bang for the buck right now, the ones that kind of blew my mind when I reviewed them, because they sound great, they're super comfortable, the battery life is decent, and they basically take all the basic boxes. They have no app that goes with them. They're super 
basic, the simplest true wireless you can get. No active noise cancellation, but they do go in your ear canal with a silicone seal, and so they have some passive noise isolation. Are the TCLs that we all got at CES? They cost 80 bucks, 80 bucks, and they sound fantastic. They are like good insulation naturally through the silicone tip. They are good battery life, super comfortable, super small. They don't have touch surfaces. You can actually click, they're clickable surfaces, and the click is not. Like it's the perfect amount of click. Like you can feel the feedback that you clicked it. If you push not too hard, it doesn't click. If you push a little harder, it doesn't go in your ear and jam in and feel uncomfortable. You know what I'm saying? Like they, they measure the right amount of force you need to click so it doesn't get jammed in your ear when you push it, but it also still does the clicking it needs to do for like controlling the tracks or whatever, right? Do you want to hear something funny? I'm literally sitting here, I'm on Amazon, <laughs> and I have just added... You don't the... have to be on Amazon. You got a pair for free at CS. Everybody did, almost. No, I don't think I went to any of, any of Look their TCO. Look through your swag bags. I didn't go to the TCO event. I mean, it's fine. Like, Oh, then if you didn't... No, go, I'm, yeah. I'm just, I'm sitting here like, okay, you've sold me on all of these, basically. But they're not for sale in the US yet. That's the problem. Like, I wrote the review thinking like it's been three months or whatever it was i wrote it in march so it's like it's been three months since ces surely they're available so i write the review and i publish it and uh, when not. we tried to find an affiliate link we're like wait they're not available in the us yet so i pinged tcl and said hey guys why are these not available why did you give us units in at ces they're like oh because they're a global product and we figured you know you might want some true wireless earbuds we're like they're so awesome we want them how can we like they're like we'll let you know when they're available in the us but you can find them. Like, I think Gearbest sells them. Alibaba sells them. They're 80 bucks. And honestly, you can buy true wireless earbuds for cheaper than that that are okay. But for these, like, I think compete easily with a $129 pair of true wireless earbuds despite costing 80 bucks, which I think is really nice. I'm going to be honest. So I'm going to spend the whole of the summer now just playing with different wireless earbuds because why not? We've got nothing better to do. It's a thing. And you know, you can write a review like, pump out a thousand words or 500 words really quickly on these. And currently with the COVID-19, the pandemic, people are wanting to like, you know, have some comfortable, decent battery life, good sounding, somewhat noise canceling or noise isolating, depending if it's active or passive, a thing in their ear or over their ear while they're at home so they can drown out, you know, the kids and the, you know, the lawnmower and the you know, washing machine or whatever it might be, right? It's hard to focus. And I think audio products right now are a hot seller because of it, you know? Yeah, especially when, you know, if you're, I think, especially with a lot of the microphone stuff, think about some of the most computers don't have a great mic and most people don't want to buy a dedicated mic so they're going to go for wireless and hope for hope that the mic there is better than what they have so they can still make calls and stuff from home you know so i definitely just definitely see that value i mean i'm i'm seeing the numbers on my reviews and they're like pretty decent and i'm like okay i guess this is a, there's a demand for that Unfortunately, because, you know, I'm just a contributor at Android Police, I don't get to review the big shots like the Pixel Buds. So I did that for her hardware. I don't get to review the, the Galaxy Buds Plus because somebody else did it before me. So you won't see published reviews on some of these. But I did the Free Buds 3 for them. I did the TCLs for them. And I, as I said, the Pixel Buds. So I'm trying to do more of that. And of course, I have the Sonys because they sent me units of both the earbuds and the headphones. I've had the headphones forever. They've become my travel headphones, the, you know, the big cans, the WH-1000XM3. Greatest pair of headphones I have ever used. God, they sound so good and they are so amazing. In my history of going through 
review units and getting free stuff from everyone all over the world. I have never come across a pair of headphones that literally changed my life. And I, I think recently, about two months ago, I broke them, the headband on them. And mm-hmm. kid you not, went straight to Amazon and bought a replacement pair the same day. Oh, and they arrived the next day and I was like, carry on. Because it's that, even though I don't use them quite as much now, I do use them whenever I travel. And often when I'm traveling, it's like, yeah, go to if sitting on a bus. I'm just going to use them because I don't want the earbuds to fall out. So, yeah. Greatest pair of headphones there is. I use them at home now too when I want to focus because, you know, I'm used to working from home. I work from home all the time. I've always worked from home. So it's not a huge deal. I, normally I use a open headphones wired, like a Bayer Dynamic DT990 Pro. That's usually what I use. I'm using them right now for the podcast, the, the, the Bayer Dynamic. So that's what I normally use. But every now and then, you know, there's some background noise. Like in San Francisco, I live right on the street. So there might be construction or maybe, you know, there's like, a delivery vehicle idling outside and it's just kind of driving me nuts or dog is barking and I just pull out the Sony XM3s and I just put them on and just like done. It's done. It's gone. I can really focus again. So that's the use I've been having with them since I'm not traveling right now. But normally they're always in my work bag for traveling because anywhere I go on an airplane, on a bus, on whatever, I'm going to wear these headphones. They're so incredible. As you said, they're life, like it's a life changing experience. It's a game changer. These headphones. Totally agree. Wholeheartedly. Let's switch back to some laptops because I know we talked about Microsoft. We went from their, the the book three and the go Two to the, the headphone two and the earbuds are now available, but I want to go back to laptops because Apple finally released an updated MacBook Pro that's not the big one that has the new Magic Keyboard, so no more butterfly keyboard, actually back to scissor keys. But we all expected it to be a 14-inch MacBook Pro, right? Yeah. What happened there? It's basically the chassis looks identical. It looks like a 13-inch MacBook Pro with a scissor Magic Keyboard instead of a butterfly crap keyboard. So here's here's my guess. And this is on a few... This is, this is a... F- Kind of a few other things I think that you know their strategy behind this. They, I I think we're still going to see a fourteen inch. My best guess is, think about the world we're in right now. Did we like? Would it have been okay? Better yet, MacBook Pro sixteen, huge acclaim when it came out. Yeah. There was some serious. There were some fairly. You know, there were a few interesting issues at the very beginning. You know, where it could. Does Apple have all of the support people it needed to be able to put a 14-inch out, change the key, like try a whole new thing, deal with any of these big changes when everyone's working limit, like less hours and it's it doesn't have its usual flow? No. And I think it actually makes sense for them to, to have this kind of thing because the 13-inch MacBook Pro is, is still, it's like it's legendary. Like, so... I just before I left my relations, I had gave back my 13 inch pro and I loved the damn thing. It was perfect for life sitting on my couch. It wasn't too big. Did it need, could it have been 14 inches? Sure. Did it need to be? No. The only thing that I think is driving me absolutely nuts about the, no, actually, no, never mind. So I was, I was like, when I looked the other day, I couldn't see all the options for the MacBook Pro, and I've just checked, and the 13-inch now offers 32 gigs of RAM, going back to my original point. Yeah. I'm happy. This is everything I wanted the 13-inch to be, because if you want all the power in the world, you go for the 16. You need it. But if you want the perfect productivity device, this is it. 
and also 10th gen uh, Intel chips are available. So to me, what it feels like a lot like this is very much like the MacBook Air refresh, right? We just got a MacBook Air refresh where basically they put a 10th gen chips and they put the, they switched the butterfly keyboard for a scissor keyboard, magic keyboard, right? Yep. And if you look at it, this is exactly what they just did with the MacBook Pro 13. But of course they got rid of the one that didn't have the, uh, touch bar and so that's gone i liked it because i don't like the touch bar but it was definitely a downgrade in terms of ports and processors and performance it never got the upgrades so i'm glad they got rid of it so i think you're right what we're looking at here is very much like the macbook air when it went from butterfly to scissor keys recently we're looking at a 13 inch macbook pro that's gone from butterfly to scissor keys with 10th gen chips and then on top of that we're going to probably as you said get a 14 inch macbook pro complete refresh maybe in the you know, a year or so, because it took a year, right, for the MacBook Air to switch from Butterfly to the scissor keys, right, the new form factor of the MacBook Air. So I think another year, like in the spring next year, probably we'll see a MacBook Pro 14 or in the summer or in the fall of 2021. And that's fine by me. It's just interesting to me because we were all hyped about that, right? We're like, the next logical thing for Apple to do here, clearly, they did the 16, they're going to do a 14, right? But they didn't. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> To go from 15.6 to 16, that little extra space, they've got the space to work with. To go from 13.3, which is fairly compact for what they've, what it offers, yeah. and try and push that to 14 without dramatically changing the size of it. Remember, remembering they got rid of the touch, they, they, they kind of, the touch bar isn't the full length before. So now they have to put in the physical key, you know, the escape key and the touch ID and all of those things. I think they've done, you know, they've, they've done it right. And I'm looking at, I'm literally sitting on Apple's website right now and thinking, I love my 16 inch pro so much. It's like the perfect machine to sit on my desk. But I, for a while have been thinking about, I wish I do miss having that something small that I can just lay flat on the couch with and just type away on. Cause it was the great experience. And if you could, I think this 13 inch takes that, takes what's great about the 16. Yeah. Makes it smaller. And to be fair, it's 2400 bucks to get a 13-inch MacBook Pro with 32 gigs of RAM and 512 gigs of storage and an i7 processor. Yeah, that's overpriced compared to Windows, but that's not terrible given that I, when I bought this, the other 13, I spent 2800 for 16 gigs of RAM and a one terabyte hard drive, one terabyte storage, you know? No, They brought sure. the pricing down as well, which I appreciate. I also actually feel that the twelve hundred ninety nine starting price for this, now that it has comes with two fifty six gigs of SSD, is actually a very good price. Unlike oh, you, I agree. Unlike you, all my Macs have eight gigs of RAM, and I'm perfectly happy because I just manage my tabs better, and I never run out. Even though I do Final Cut Pro and I do uh, you know Audacity and lots of um, creative stuff, I'm fine with it. So I would honestly look at that eight gigs of RAM, 256 gigs of storage. 256 is really my minimum. If I looked at that and it's $12.99 right now, that's a great deal for what you're getting. Oh, Unfortunately, the, thing. the lower end is not 10th gen, even if you upgrade. And you can upgrade for $100 to 16 gigs. Is that what you're going to say? Yeah, I was looking at that. I was like, that's not a bad price. No, that's a really good deal. But I'm just saying like, you still don't get the 10th gen chip. You get an 8th gen chip and the cheaper model. So that's the thing you have to remember. If you really want to take advantage of the new MacBook Pro 13's, you know, upgrade, you really need the 10th gen chip. And that starts costing like $17.99 or something. Listen, but even at $1,800, just looking at that, yeah. it offers, I think, everything somebody wants at that price point. It gives you the 10th gen. It's an i5. You can upgrade to the i7 for 200 whatever. 
Well, I will tell you the one thing I really, really like about the you know the way Apple does its pricing is there is so many options to customize this. Yes, you know, my sure. six my my MacBook Pro sixteen is fully was fully customized. It's the two terabyte storage. Wait, the, you didn't get eight terabytes like Michael Fisher did? Help! No, I mean <laughs> he shoots four K video. I I'll be lucky if I fill five hundred. Like I probably I was amazed. Like I was like, holy crap, that's insane. But I can see it. Because I I bought the two terabyte knowing what happens during trade shows. And obviously for the last couple of years, I've been in a slightly different career track. But now I'm back on the kind of the full beat, if you will. Yeah. During trade shows, I can rack up five, six, seven hundred gigs worth of footage on my laptop. Yeah, totally. You, you know that. You know what I mean? Oh, I so know that. Yeah. It's interesting. I think this 13 inch is the great compromise. What I really want to see Apple do is bring, give me some... Give me some, give me some joy. Give me some color, you know. Yeah. I really want the ability to like. We're we're looking at space gray and silver. Hey, as as great as that is, where's my gold? Where's yeah. that? Rose? I used to have a rose gold twelve inch MacBook, and I loved it. Yeah, I know. I hear you. That would be because nice. they're being their design. I'm hoping that they're stopped with this design, and you know, eighteen months from now, we get to see the the new the next generation of MacBook Pro. Because right now they're just, like you said, reusing chassis and stuff like that. What we really want to see is them take the design, you know, take kind of take the design fight to all the people innovating in the Windows space in design, you know? Yeah. Show us what you got, Apple. Because, yeah, you can just keep putting this stuff out. But I really want to see something truly special in a range of colors. Give me a looking at this product, red iPhone SE. <laughs> I would pay $200 more to have a product red MacBook Pro. Oh, that would be cool. Well, yeah, I think this is a good uh, update. We have a bunch of news items I want to go through real quick. The oh, LG Velvet, which has been teased by LG on a weekly basis by slowly leaking things. Not leaking, teasing really, is, is official leaks, so it's teases. is finally available. It's finally official. I have a story here by uh, XT, from XTA Developers written by uh, Prenob. And it's, uh, you know, basically exactly what we expected. It's that new design language for LG, the Velvet design language, which I, as I said in last week's podcast, basically looks like um, could be a Chinese phone from Xiaomi or, or you know, Oppo or Reminds something. Reminds me of the TCLs for some reason. A little bit, Even yeah, though but, it doesn't... But it's, it's much better than the V60 and the... Because the V30, when it came out, we, we said that last week, Michael and I, it's like the V30, when it came out, looked really hot and modern. And then somehow it, it aged really poorly over the generations to the point where the V60 looks very staid and old and, and kind of crappy, honestly, in terms of design. Well, the V30 came out at the same time that we saw, you know, just before Samsung went through that crazy design shift and entire revamp yeah it's true. i like i really like the look of this velvet oh me too i'm not complaining about it i'm just saying that i'm glad because the v60 is so boring you know yeah at least in this stock imagery the green looks amazing but more importantly than the design language i'm hoping that this is lg returning to what made it special because i can tell you nearly seven maybe ten i had to forget it's probably close to 10 years ago now i was more longer than that i was selling the lg chocolate in retail stores yeah that naming scheme where it's it's all about description because when you think chocolate you think 
you, you it inspires emotion. Smooth, you think velvet slick, warm, when it, yeah. it does the same. What they've got, if they can keep this kind of naming structure and this playing on people like the LG chocolate went through multiple iterations, or at least a couple, but never changed the name from the new LG chocolate, you know? And I can yeah. see this working for them because it, people will go, it, it's just going to make people go, oh, wow, this just looks and sounds very different. Because right now, I don't think, I think if you offer someone a GA, it's like, it just sounds boring and generic. Yeah. Or a sure. V60, it's the same thing. So let's look at this real quick. So this is interesting to me that, okay, it's got the design language that we've, you know, talked about on the show every week because every week we've talked about the Velvet because every week LG, you know, it reads a little more. So, <laughs> so it's got a bit of a curved edge display, waterfall, but not as, not too strong. It has, the uh, back is the same way as well. So it's symmetric. It's nice. Glass sandwich, aluminum or metal frame. I like the way the cameras look in the back, the teardrops. It's pretty clever. It certainly looks fresh and modern and it does have a hole punch. It's more like a teardrop meets a hole punch. It's like the essential phone, isn't it? Yeah, it kind of is. What's interesting is looking at like the design language actually and the, the glass meets the metal and stuff like that was symmetrical. I just opened my drawer. I don't, I'm sorry if you heard that. But I can, I literally just, it came to me. It looks a lot like a Huawei P30. I was going to say, that. that's why I said this, this, it's a Korean brand, but it has Chinese phone written all over it. It's interesting. So I'm wondering it if they're going to go. It works in China and in Asia, so I can't blame them for it. Exactly. I'm wondering if they're going to go to China with this, because you know that Korean brands are struggling in China. Samsung's not doing that great. LG is probably doing nothing in China. But I want to talk about the specs a little bit, because this is not, launched globally right now it's only korea i think and uh the price is pretty high like 700 euros or something so it's interesting that the price is about the same as a v60 but um there's more focus on design and less focus on specs because if you look at the specs the screen is the same size 6.8 inch this is actually a big phone i thought the velvet was going to be their g replacement i figured the screen would be a little smaller like 6.5 or something it's a 6.8 inch 1080p and then we've got Snapdragon 765. We knew that was coming. So that's a slightly detuned version of the 865, which I think is really great because it supports 5G native. Built in, you don't need to add a modem. Yep. 8 gigs of RAM, 128 gigs of storage, micro SD support, which is surprising because that's really going away everywhere. And then 4,300 milliamp hours seems reasonable for the battery. It's got fast wireless charging as well, which is cool. And the cameras are interesting. 48 megapixel main, 8 megapixel ultra wide, and then a five megapixel depth sensor. This is very much the same kind of specs as the V60. Of course, the V60 has a 64 megapixel main camera, but I feel like they're, they're apparently getting rid of telephotos, LG. They don't believe in telephoto anymore. So here's the problem. I'm looking at this specs list in conjunction with the 700 euro price Yeah, right, tag. exactly. And you're like, and I'm like Yo. in China, you can buy like um, a Redmi something or, you know, a Realme something for like 300 US dollars, it has the same specs. Well, this is a 6.8 inch plastic OLED display. What the hell are they doing? I, I, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to react like that because I really like the design of it. And I think some of the things like 8 gig, 128 gig and 765, micro SD, great, 4300, whatever. Cameras, okay. Yeah. But I'm looking at this going, yeah, this might be worth, if you're going to ever bring this to somewhere like the US, you're 500. looking at having to go 500, especially yeah. when you look yeah. at, you're going up against TCL phones that are very well specced at the price tag yeah, and stuff like for that. For sure, yeah, yeah. LG's kind of got this 
And Wrong. everyone knows it. I love them. I love them as a, you know, as a, as a brand. I have a lot of history with LG. I re, I do sometimes like using the dual screen for gaming and there's little things, but they, it's the value prop doesn't exist. And changing the design language, it'd be different if they were like, here's the design language that the whole industry is going to move to in a year or two, you know, we're ahead of the curve. Yeah. No, they've just gone with this. They've kind of yeah. bought their standard up to the rest. And then it's like the specs would have to be fairly comprehensive. Well, let's see if this even comes to the US at this point. Let's see what happens. Uh, other thing I like is 3.5 millimeter headphone jack. Nice. It does have an in-display fingerprint scanner, of course. So look, it's it's just seems pricey for what it is. It has Wacom digitizer like the LG V60. So, okay, cool. But I mean, like... You're getting better design, but the price seems too high for what it is. You're absolutely right. And the colors are pretty, especially I like that that sunset color or whatever that is, that yellow, reddish oh, that's gorgeous. gradient. Yeah, that's pretty nice. But yeah, look, I just wanted to let the audience know this is happening. This is real. Um, we need to talk about a few more phones. Poco F2 Pro leaks. Like there's going to be um, some sort of virtual event or announcement or launch on the 12th of May. So very soon, in a few days... The Poco X2 was the first phone offered by Poco as a separate brand because, you know, Poco is a Xiaomi brand originally that now has been, you know, separated from uh, from the Xiaomi uh, mothership in a way. So we've got the, the Poco X2 and now we've got the Poco F2 Pro and... It look, basically looks like a rebranded version of the Redmi K30 Pro, which we all know the K-series from Redmi has always been a huge amount of bang for the buck. The K20 Pro last year has Snapdragon 855 and a triple camera system, you know, telephoto, ultra wide and regular for something like 350 US dollars, which was insane. So the Poco F1, the original, when it was still part of Xiaomi, was a bit of a kind of like an iPhone SE. Like you got all the specs, super fast chip. At the time, it was at 845 for $300. So it'll be interesting to see. Like the original OnePlus. Yeah, Same exactly. value prop. Yeah, so I'm, I'm we're interested to see if the Poco F2 Pro kind of is that. But the the article here from your former Mobile Nation friends at Android Central says that this actually would be priced higher than that. The K30 Pro from Redmi, what this is supposedly a clone of, is actually not very expensive phone. So I don't know. Let's let's see how this develops. What's your, what's your general take on this whole Poco, Xiaomi, Redmi thing? I haven't tried any of the Poco phones. Really want to, They're because cool. I do think I do think this is the kind of brand and some even the branding Poco. Mm -hmm. It's that kind of name that you could, you know, it's it's the kind of thing you could say to someone and it just sounds interesting to them. So it's a very fascinating way they've chosen that name. Like if you went up to someone and say, "Check out this new phone, the Poco," people are gonna make are gonna wonder what is that. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. It's got a branding thing to it. So I'm excited, and ultimately, I think things like phones like the Redmi K30 Pro, the Poco F2, and even some of the, like, even the iPhone SE, they're doing they're doing one thing, which is they are writing this industry a little bit and forcing yes. people to go. We can't just let prices go sky high, because otherwise, this industry was going to keep going higher, even with all the stuff going on around us, and probably would have crashed at one point when it just got too expensive for everyone. Yeah. Well, we'll see. They're promising the. You know, I'm going to quote the article here. The most powerful chipset 
for the most affordable price. So that's exactly what the Poco F1 did, the original. And, you know, the Poco X2 was a bit of an outlier. It was more like, let's rebrand a, a, a Redmi or Xiaomi phone to get the brand started again. But this is really more in line with what we were expecting. So keep our eyes peels on that. And then speaking of kind of uh, zombie brands, <laughs> because we're not talking, I mean, Poco is not a zombie brand, but it was, it was this, it disappeared for a year and came back as its own thing. HTC supposedly is working on a Desire 20 Pro. What? That's crazy. Yeah. Look, this was written by your colleague Errol at uh, XDA Developers, and Desire was like, Always affordable, good specs. And you know, look, it has a, a, a fingerprint sensor on the back. So I think this is a mid-range phone. I got excited when you sent me this because I was like, whoa. I know, right? But no. But if HTC could build one phone a year, one phone a year, just one, and price it well and give us something, I still think they could be interesting because they used to do great things. For sure. But this just doesn't fill me with any excitement. Um, all right, so HTC making a Desire mid-range phone, whatever. Uh, I love that everybody's adding Pro at the end of their phone names. It's kind of ridiculous. Lenovo Legion. So there's a gaming phone from Lenovo that's leaked. You guys got the scoop at XDA Developers. Yeah, that was a good job by Michelle. That was Michelle, yeah. So supposedly it's a 144 hertz display with 90 watt wires charging, 9-0. The highest charging on a phone I've seen so far has been from... I want to say Oppo with 65 watt charging on the Find X2 Pro. And this is 90, this is insane. 140 hertz display. And here's the kicker. The pop-up camera is on the side of the phone, halfway down the side. So this really is a landscape theme phone. And if you look at the renders, the cameras on the back are almost halfway down the, the, the back panel. It's really a weird looking design. Can you imagine? So here's the thing. I saw this when we went live with it. My, and I'll tell you my first three reactions. What, what A, I want one <laughs> because it is so unique. Yeah. B, this is, at least on paper, the best gaming phone ever made. Yeah, for because sure. Because it looks now. like it's the only one that looks like it was designed for gaming first. Whereas every other phone out there, or at least 99.9% of them, tried to be a gaming phone. Don't we're still trying to be phones in their regular regard. What Lenovo seems to be doing here is giving people access to an actual phone and stuff. But when you put the pop up on the site on the side and it has like that, you're playing it two handed landscape. So you can it can they'll have Twitch. I guarantee they'll have some features for Twitch. Yeah, it's designed totally. for that for that audience. And I think it's brilliant because also with the cameras at the back, I'm sure they'll be able to do some real world stuff at the same time, you know? Yeah, I don't know how they'll be able to use it for AR and things like that, but it just looks incredible. And then I love the blue color as well. Kudos for folks for for Michelle to get the the scoops and for you folks to have that first. I think it's interesting. I'm not surprised it's happening. I think gaming phones are going to be a th you know the, I've always said they're going to be a thing. It's not my thing, but I've I've always said they're going to be a thing, and it doesn't look like it's it's slowing down. There's a lot more coming out. The prices are also really aggressive, which is really great. I think this is good news. Interesting little tidbit of news. The NFC consortium, the people who regulate the standards around NFC near field communication or, or tap type functionality on your phone, also known as RFID, uh, the stuff you use for Apple Pay and Google Pay and for pairing phones on a, uh, with headphones over Bluetooth, at least Android phones, has announced that they're managed to kind of incorporate one watt wireless charging through the NFC coil 
So this is not Qi compatible, but it's a way to charge devices using NFC for up to one watt, which doesn't sound like much, but if you think about it, that's perfect for smartwatches and earbuds, cases, and stuff like that. So that's interesting. I wouldn't be surprised if in the future our phones support this so that reverse wireless charging can happen from uh, at one watt through the NFT coil instead of through the Qi uh, coil, and that you have a choice on how you want to reverse wireless charge your devices. It's very cool. Yeah, looking at it from initially when I said, I'll be honest, I was going about to just say, who the hell cares? Yeah. Right. But that's how I felt at first, too. But then you read about it. Listening like, to you talk, I think I, I'm with you. Like, this is actually going to be great for shops. You know, there's a lot of older hardware out there that doesn't support wireless charging. But this might be a way to be able to do, like, especially old, you know, NFC has been around for a long time, but a lot of the accessories don't support it. And then I don't know how it would. Like, it would be great kind of for phone to accessory. I would love to see how that can help, you know, with if you've got NFC and, you know, NFC touch points in a shop, you know? Right. What does that boost do? Like, what does that boost do? And all of those things. Because I think it's interesting. But again, one watt is super slow, even yeah. for something like a smartwatch. Yeah, but here's the thing. Like, first of all, you have to understand this is not going to work backwards compatible with any device you already have. You need a chip in that device that understands that Fair. it can charge for that. Okay, so this is a new technology that uses NFC instead of sep so the, the advantage is a price advantage. If you now make true wireless earbuds, it's going to be a lot cheaper for you to incorporate an NFC-based one watt wireless charging feature than add a separate chip and a separate coil to do chi. Right. Yep. Okay. Now that makes sense. Because if you look at like Sony's earbuds, right? For example, their charging case has NFC in it already. Because Sony is one of the first big users of NFC for pairing Bluetooth, right? So they put NFC in everything. You can pair your Sony earbuds by just tapping them on your phone. Don't even have to open the case. Just come near it. Boom, it pairs. And it's cool. It's very fast. But they, on top of that, because they're expensive earbuds, have a separate circuit and separate coil, you know, for wireless charging. Actually, the Sonys don't have wireless charging. But if they did, they would have to have a separate chip for it, which I think is expensive so this is gonna democratize wireless charging even if it's slow wireless charging on really cheap like 20 40 dollar true wireless earbuds you know which is great which is absolutely needed you're right yeah and that's why i'm excited about it so and that's why i was like oh this is at first i was like man and then i was like wait to think about the options what it can bring and i was like okay maybe it's a mobile show we should talk about it. speaking of uh fun little tidbits of news T-Mobile lit up mid-band 5G, first network in the U.S. to light up mid-band. Well, I guess Sprint did technically, but they bought Sprint, they acquired Sprint, and that's why they now have mid-band on T-Mobile. Let's be real. Uh, in, it's only in New York City, and it only supports two phones right now, the S20 Plus and the S20 Ultra, apparently. And that makes sense because those two phones have mid-band 5G. Now, I'm not sure if it supports the unlocked versions of these phones or the T-Mobile branded version of these phones. I'm about to go find out. You let me know. Tweet about it. I have a T-Mobile SIM somewhere. Yeah. So the reality is now with T-Mobile, we have low band pretty much nationwide. We have millimeter wave in very select markets like Las Vegas, which nobody cares about. And then we now have mid-band, which is 2,500 megahertz, which I think, I think is 2,500 megahertz, which is going to really help in uh, dense situations like New York City. So this is a big deal. This is a big deal. Uh, it's a small area. It doesn't really affect a lot of people, but it's the beginning of something important. So that's why I included it, right? 
the reason it's actually, I'll tell you this from real, I live in New York City, live amongst all this denseness, yeah? Right. I can go and get Verizon millimeter wave a block down. T-Mobile, I'll pick it up. But the problem is I found, and I found this on multiple phones with multiple T-Mobile SIM cards and stuff. It will constantly be, you know, it's constantly flipping between LTE and 5G yeah. because of, because of the density. You're in a fringe area, probably. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess it is because I move a foot a bit. It's great. But like, it'll be very interesting to see how midband helps with that density. And I think For we sure. could have real usable, meaningful 5G finally. Yeah, and it's also going to be slightly faster than low band. So it's not going to be millimeter wave fast, but you should be able to see 150, 200 megabits easily on mid. That's all we need. We don't Correct. need two gigs. Yeah, no, Can absolutely. you just give me 200 megs religiously and I'll be a happy man? Absolutely. And then last bit of news is a new chip from MediaTek called the Helio G85. I'll link to uh, XDA once again because you guys rock at this stuff. Kishan wrote this story. Look, I got the news announcement. MediaTek briefed me on it. It's basically an upgraded variant of the G80, which was a, you know, the G series of Helio are the gaming chips. Like there is the, you know, the Snapdragon have the G versions at, at the end of the number, like Snapdragon 730G and 765G, which are gaming optimized versions of their chips, supposedly. Well, this is the same idea. Instead of P series, it's a G series version of the, of the chip. Or graphics or gaming version, and and so this is just uh, basically a more one more ace in MediaTek's uh, deck of cards for you know making affordable gaming phones. And it looks great. It looks great. I'm like I don't think I'd ever I'll ever end up using a phone that's powered by a G85, but it'd be interesting to use it. You know? Yeah. No, I mean I heard good things about the G90 powered. Uh, uh, I don't know one of the Oppos that came out, and you know I I used a P90 on a on a Reno 2Z last year, and I compared it directly to the Qualcomm, um, the Reno 2 non-Z, which was running a 730, and honestly I couldn't tell the difference in performance, and it was just it was just snappy. It was really snappy the P90. So MediaTek has always made some pretty good value proposition chips it's too bad we just don't see them much in the u.s because the carriers are so in bed with uh, you know with qualcomm right yeah that's it i'd love to see a few of these like if you think about just the final if you think about all the innovation and then you think about just the small subset we actually get to see over here and yeah. i'd love to see that change one day so that we can actually you know because i think the whole market would be very different Definitely, definitely. Well, listen, we've reached the end of the show. I think uh, I'd love to have you pimp out your new gig. You just moved from Mobile Nations to XDA Developers. Tell us where to find you on the internet, your handles, and what else you want us to know. Yeah, so I just joined XDA and uh, the few other sites as their chief content officer. I'm so excited because it's a great audience like thing. You can find me at xdadevelop-developers.com. I'm at Nirav on Twitter, at NiravG on Instagram, and we're also XDA developers all over the web. There you go, folks. So check it out. Uh, will you be writing stories for the site or more managing things? So I'm the reason I'm super excited is because I get to look at the whole big picture and do a lot of the strategy, but cool. I'm also going to be doing the reviews. I'll, I still plan to review stuff, and I wake up in the morning not for the money. I wake up because I love playing with tech. For sure, right? I mean, if you can't review stuff, it's no fun. I agree. That's it. Hundred percent. You folks all know where to find me on the internet. I'm at Tankerl. That's T N K G R L on Twitter and on Instagram. That's spelled like Tankerl, the comic book character, but drop the vowels. And of course, the Twitter is where you want to interact with me about this podcast. 
And Instagram is where you're going to find pretty pictures of phones that I'm reviewing and pictures I actually take with these phones because, you know, why not? And so please follow me there. And then, of course, there is a YouTube channel that goes with the podcast called youtube.com slash mobile tech podcast pretty straightforward if you want some video content to go along with this audio show like some visuals unboxing hands-ons that sort of stuff go to the channel subscribe like tell your friends click the notification bell comment in the comments be a part of the community help me grow the channel i appreciate it and then of course if you uh, followed narav here somehow you don't subscribe to the podcast yet please subscribe. MobileTechPodcast.com is the URL. We're also on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Spotify. And I say we as like the royal we slash my guests and I, we. Yes, please subscribe, tell your friends, all that good stuff. And if you have the ability in whatever app you're using for the podcast to rate or review the podcast, please do so as well. Uh, one final thing I want to say is that there's a donate link in the show notes and there's also a donate link in the YouTube descriptions of the videos. Please use that link to support the show. It costs money to make this happen and, you know, it's not my main gig. So please consider supporting through the donate link. And finally, I want to thank our sponsor, Audible.com. Audible is the platform for audiobooks. I always use this example, but it's such a good one. If you're a bookworm, you love reading, but maybe you're an essential worker right now. You're having to travel all over the place, maybe drive somewhere like a new delivery vehicle or something. You can't read books, but you might want to listen to something. Maybe you listen to podcasts, but maybe you listen to audiobooks. And audiobooks are great for that. So uh, the only platform really that is worth the salt, in my opinion, of audiobooks is Audible. There's great selection of books all the time, new stuff every day, every week, and a lot of books read by the authors, which I really like. So check it out. You can support the podcast by getting an Audible account and you don't have to stick around if you don't like it, but there's a link in the show notes. It's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. That's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. If you click on that link and sign up for an account, you don't have to stay, you don't have to pay anything and you can listen to books for a month and you can keep a book at the end that you like, but you support the podcast no matter what. So consider helping us out by, you know, helping Audible. So that's it. And uh, thanks, Audible, for being a sponsor for so long. And Narav, thanks for being on the show. Well, thank you as well for having me. It's really nice to be back. And it's a shame because it feels like five years since we saw everybody. But it's things like this that make us, you know, it's like us being in, in Barcelona together. Exactly. And we'll be back on the road at some point soon, I'm sure. But for now, this is what we're going to do. And so thanks again for being there. And folks, you know that there'll be another show next week. So stay tuned for that. And until then, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.